Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Super excited uh, to have this conversation today with a dear friend of mine. She's a relational educator and trauma therapist. I have with me Terry Delaney. Hi, Terry. Hey, LaShonda. I'm so happy to be with you. I am so excited to have you here. So I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Oh, gosh. That is such a good question. And I have to tell you, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> and one of the things I realized, I'm so excited. I can thank, I can thank Dan Siegel for this. So I was listening to the audio of the, neurobio, the neurobiology of um, we. Have you listened to that one? I have not. In there, he says that there's been some research that shows that one of the things that has the most impact on whether or not our children do well is whether or not we as parents have reckoned with our past. That if we have made some sense of our history, of our legacy, of our, of our meaning our parents' legacy, our childhoods, and, and even before that, our ancestry, if we have reckoned with that and made some sense of it, it has a huge impact on our children. And when I heard that, I was like, that's it. Because I'm an educator, I'm a therapist, I, um, I facilitate these workshops. And I was like, what is the bigger, what's the bigger picture? And I realized my labor of love is helping people make sense of where they've come from. That's it. I love it. I know. And it fits so well across the numerous things that you do. And I will say that like when I was able to narrow it down, because listen, I ask people, what's your labor of love weekly? But I realized at some point I had not been able to narrow my own down because no one's asking me, right? (laughs) I'm asking the question. And there was something about the end of last year when I really, and this wasn't motivated by me going, what is my labor of love? It was motivated by turning 40. And really having this moment of rounding out, you know, this, this, that year for me and being able to concisely name my purpose was so liberating and joyful knowing, saying that I leave people in places better than I find them. And I help people be human with other humans has taken such uh, a burden I didn't even know I was carrying off my shoulders of like, when people, what do you do? I get that question a lot. And then I just chuckle. <laughs> ah, but now I can, um, now I, I, this is what I do. So I love that for you, that you were able to kind of, this is what it is. So now that you have been able to articulate it in that concise fashion, let's trace it back a little bit. Where is this passion rooted for you? 
Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. <sighs> well, probably in childhood. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but when I think about like my work, um, I was already working as a therapist um, before I really understood how important it was to make sense of the past. So I can't say that that started my work. And in fact, I do want to tell you this. I was working as a therapist. I trained as a social worker and then and did some community organizing and then some research. And then I realized, no, I want to work with people directly, like who are ready to engage in themselves. And so I switched. Um, and then started, I actually then got a, went back to school for marriage and family therapy and did that too. So I both, um, but while I was already working as a therapist, um, I came across the work of Pia Melody and I went through this phase of how come no one taught me this stuff before? Like, how could I have gone through training as a social worker, training as a marriage and family therapist? And I did not really understand basics about boundaries. I didn't understand the basics about inherent worth. And I had this like crisis, LaShonda, where I was like, what is happening? And I started reckoning with my past and realizing I was one of those people who would have said I, I had a pretty good childhood. Mm -hmm. And then I came to understand, oh, wait, I feel really overly responsible for the people in my family. And I've been a therapist since I was a little kid. And so I went actually through this personal crisis of, should I even be a therapist? Is this me doing my adaptation? So I don't, did I ever tell you this? I considered quitting for about a year and a half. I was like, I, I need to figure out my, what my true calling is. No, you then, never told me that. And then it turned out that I just needed to stop being a therapist from my little child self. <laughs> And it turned out that my wise adult likes being a therapist. And so if I could move out of the adaptive child state, I could then start being a therapist from this new place. Apologies to my original clients. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I really, I, I really came to understand, oh, I was just carrying out my family role. Being the person that helps other people feel okay, smoothing over conflicts. And it had some value in my work, but reckoning with what that was like growing up in a family where I felt so responsible for the adults and really, and also the false empowerment that came with that, that a child could take care of adults or that I could raise myself. That was also my story, LaShonda, that I raised myself. Mm -hmm. I now understand that I did not. <laughs> not mm -hmm. as a child, I did not. Now, adult me now, you know, in, in, in the present time is reparenting who I am. But so coming across that work was such a, a light bulb moment for me of, oh my gosh, because we don't know what we don't know. And I did not realize, oh my gosh, really coming to terms with, of course, this isn't about blaming the parents, but coming to terms with, oh my gosh, I only knew what I knew growing up, right? And my parents, like most parents, did the best they could. And they're limited by, you know, in this case, not having done the reckoning. Not having done their own reckoning meant I was holding that bag. And then how liberating it was to do that and realize, oh, now I can have adult relationships with these people. 
right? I don't have to react to my family of origin from a child place. I'm an adult and I can accept them for their imperfections because it's not their job to parent me anymore. Yeah. I thank you for so much of that. Um, what was the thought? I had it. And I was like, hold on to this, <laughs> hold on to this and still listen. Um, oh yeah. Well, just all of that. Right. I, I think a lot of the work that you and I do in our relational work and things is helping people to understand the importance of reckoning with that past. And I think about sometimes when I hear or have heard people make a statement about another person, they just need to grow up. Um, they just need to grow up. And as you were talking, I'm like, you know, it, it's true in some ways. Oftentimes when people um, were acting out of these inner child parts are littles they show up they start driving the bus and grow up isn't this shame filled you know do something different but like oh wait I'm not my grown-up right now oh I do need to grow up because I am a grown-up I can move into that space of myself and I while intellectually I definitely understood everything you just said. There was something about when you started talking about um, taking care, interacting with others by carrying out your childhood role. Again, I know this, but it was something about it that that moved beyond, it moved my shoulders down and it went into my body a little bit and pinged around. And I was like, you know, wow. That, that is, I also woke up this morning reflective about, um, I always say I'm a shape-shifting people pleaser in recovery. And it began to crystallize a little bit for me that when I say that, I think people will have their own interpretations, but there is something that I really want people to understand about the shape-shifting process, very much like a chameleon. It's not effortful. It's not intentional and it doesn't take work. And so what I had to realize is even for myself, my shape-shifting was not an effortful thing that I did. And there is a difference between shape-shifting and pretending. I wasn't pretending. So I wouldn't go be around one group of people who had a certain set of values and behavioral outputs and pretend to be like them. No, I would be around a group of people and I would adapt and take on their beliefs and their behavioral outputs, how I showed up in the world and didn't even know that I was doing it. And so that, that felt important. And as you were saying that, I'm like, yeah. And then we carry out this, this role, which for me was the shapeshifter. And how many times just throughout life as an adult, I have been with one group of people and have, and it, it's interesting now because it's like, I real I would believe that I would go, huh, if they're believing that it must be worth believing, but it's not even a conscious, conscious process. It just would s- just smoothly settle into becoming immersive in the group which makes sense to things I've heard a lot of my life. It feels like I've known you forever. Oh my God. You're like, you're new to this place. It seems like you've been here forever. It's when I go in, when I would go in stores, 
people would come up to me and be like, do you work here? Even if there was like a uniform and like, I am now able to conceptualize um, that. And then final thing I'll say about this before we move on is I didn't watch this show, but I am intrigued by it. So Jay has started watching reruns of Quantum Leap. Okay. Which if I'm correct, and Jay, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, okay, I don't know, but it's a guy who hops from time and place, time and place. And when he gets there, he's like a different person. He like takes on the character of a different person. So when he, you see him as the actor, but when he looks in the mirror, you see who he's supposed to be. And Jay was just commenting on like what a good actor this person is because he truly embodies all of these different people. And I was like, oh my God, I was quantum leap. (laughs) I literally was that. So when you encounter people that you're working with who were falsely empowered and little therapists in their family, or maybe like me, shape-shifting to accommodate and all of that, what is the beginning of a journey for a person who finds themselves ready to reckon with their history? Oh my gosh. You know, let me, let me tell you, my head went somewhere else for a minute. Cause oh, I'm please uh, go there. I'm still reckoning with <laughs> Like I haven't finished. So I just want to be super clear. I want to say quick that when I am doing my deal, which is a little bit different than shape-shifting, but it does lead to that same people feel like, like they've known me or I know them. And like, there's this thing because I am being the person who's here to help them. And so a big piece of my recovery has been when I know that I'm tired and I'm stressed, um, my urge is not to um, space out or drink or other people's coping strategies. You know what my urge is? To call my neediest friend. That's my red flag. Interesting. My red flag is to go up into that. It's a way of being one up, but it's being the source of abundance. Mm. Pop up into that. I'm, I'll be the solution first. Like, oh yeah, I'm so tired. I'm so depleted. Do I go take a nap? Do I go for a walk? No, I feel like I'm going to go help someone else. Let's just get a little more high on that. So I just want to name that like, like you were saying, it's effortless. It's effortless. I, I will not feel it until I am beyond exhausted because, oh, is there someone else who needs support? I'm there. So I want to name that the process never ends. And then I'm still in recovery for it. And I just got to keep my eye on it. So I'm always like, do I, can I honestly give what I'm feeling like I want to give? And I have to check, am I depleted? Are my minimums met? Like, do I have overflow? And if I don't have overflow, part of my recovery is I have to actually refrain from helping. Right. I just want to pause there because that's going to hit for some folks. (laughs) You know, and I think that's because from from the feedback I've been getting, because I don't know who's listening, to be honest, I see numbers, I don't see names and faces. But when I encounter people who tell me they listen, it's us. We're listening to the (laughs) podcast. And I just know that right there is going to hit some folks. I just I'm pausing on behalf of those who can't reach their pause button, who (laughs) need to be like, oh, my goodness, did she just call me out like that? And I, I know there are going to be some folks who feel seen in that. And while I would make slight shifts, I felt seen in that. I was like, oh, yes. And the key of recognizing 
right? What are those things? You know, when there are other addictions um, to substances perhaps, or to porn or to, to things that people gambling, like things that are more talked about, people begin to recognize their triggers as they call them. They begin to recognize as the places they go on their mind, how their body responds, you know, thought, thoughts that come up and emerge. And in every form of recovery, we have to do the same thing. So when you go, when I'm reaching out the call that I'm like, yeah, right. Right. When you're like, oh, oh, that's that. But it doesn't also always mean that's ha- right. So it's like, it becomes an internal, it becomes um, a thermometer. That's right. Like sometimes we got to set that thermometer in. We got to take our temperature, which has become probably, you know, over the last couple of years, I now have the temperature gun. So I don't have to stick it under my tongue anymore. Right. We find new ways to gauge our temperature, but we still need to check and go. Mm. And before I move forward, who's moving forward? Right. Which part of me? Actually, I want to jump on that, LaShonda, because this world does need people to step up and be generous. This world, Mm -hmm. uh, we do. I'm not saying, you know, oh, that's my issue. So Terry Delaney can't give. No, no, no. Terry Delaney's got to check which part of her is trying to do this offering. And do I have it to offer? Or am I playing the source of abundance that's sort of like, it's a way of being above human. It's like I've transcended human. I don't have any needs. I'm just going to get my worth by give, 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 right? And when I'm up and I'm in those fumes, there's going to be a crash, right? And my goal is to assess pretty much constantly. Okay, once again, you have the urge to offer something. One, is it being asked? First of all, this yep. is, person, yep. is it even appropriate for me to be supportive? Like, but two, do I have it to give? Like, is this a time of overflow, right? I don't, I mean, I could give of my base till there was no base left, Shonda. Mm-hmm. I should say my adaptive self could give and give and give and give and give. Where my wise self or my functional adult or whatever we want to call it, no, there's a like, oop, we're teetering now. We're teetering now. I probably need to pull back. So for me, recovery is, oh. I got to do that self-care and I have to do that reflection on me, even though I don't feel like I need it. Yes. My my bad behavior feels good, feels good to me and is socially rewarded. It is very socially rewarded. And it makes sense to me because, so I think about my, my children, particularly my two six-year-olds. And one of them has so much energy. I say she doesn't walk, she bounces. Like she just, she has so much energy and when she's outside playing and, you know, now it gets darker later, folks out in the community, she's going, 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 bouncing, 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 give, give, give all of her energy. But when the crash comes, oh my goodness, it's like, man, right? And so I had to have, like, we have to have to have the conversation with her. Okay. Like when we're bringing her in a little early and why is still like, honey, I need you to remember that the crash is not, but you, <laughs> you don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy it. And I know it seems like you have a lot of energy right now. You're still on that. You know, you're up there, you're flying on that high, but we got to help you settle because when the crash comes, it's not good. And I believe our littles in there 
are, they don't, they're not in tune with what the actual limitations are of our humanity and our bodies. So they're trying to give, give, give. It also reminds me of um, my son who's 12 (laughs) came to us uh, last week, I think. And he's like, did you know the girls are down there giving away all of our snacks? And we're like, what? He's like, yeah, they're just giving away all of our snacks to the kids in the neighborhood. And, and we're like, okay. And he's like, we need those for camp. So it's like, my daughters will come in and they're like, we got snacks. So they're just, you know, shelling them out to all the kids in the neighborhood. Right. On one hand, how sweet, right. How super sweet, you know, they're like, Oh, fruit snacks, chips and dad and you know, and, but they don't have an understanding that, you know, rationing these things out matter we're going to need them, you know, now on the other end, you have my son who's nearing adolescence, who's like, don't give them anything, make them go home and get their own snacks, you know, right? <laughs> so they're teetering on the, on the, on the, on the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? And that reminds me of my adolescent, what you doing? No, no, not getting nothing of mine. And then the kid part of me is like, take it all. And we get to come in and be balanced for that. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate you naming that when you talked about, um, the self checks, I remember being on the trip about a year ago with a bunch of me. I've talked about this. If you, if you're a faithful listener to the podcast, this was my new Orleans trip, which was, it was something, but one aspect of it was I recognize that when I get into, um, I don't know if awkward is the right word, but in social situations where I feel uncomfortable or where I don't know a lot of people, my default is to turn into super helper 2000. And it has been so much so that at times, um, feeling uncomfortable at a wedding, people thought I was part of like the, the wedding planners. Okay. I don't even know the wedding planners. They're like, oh my God, you're so helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm socially uncomfortable right now with a bunch of people from my past. So let me just do a whole bunch of stuff. Right. That's me. So when I went on this trip with 10 people, 11 of those total, and I only knew one person, I recognized that that might show up. So I, I would have these round table meetings with my littles and my parts and say, Hey, we're good. We're going to relax. So uh, we had bought groceries or a couple of people had gone and got like groceries and liquor and all the stuff. And they, the van got there and it was time to unload. And so I was being helpful and helping unload. Um, and then like, it was, it was interesting. This was a group of, I would say successful, uh, successful women who all probably at some point led things. I was very comfortable with not needing to lead anything. (laughs) And so when one person is like, wait, do we put this here? And I recognized, wait a minute. So I had to take a step back, but I went outside in the back and I just checked in. Hey, we good? We, are we good? Are, Are we helping? Are we trying to prove our worth? Are we trying to earn our keep? You know, are we trying to demonstrate that we really are kind? And my littles were able to say, no, I mean, we're gonna eat those boiled eggs. So we thought it would be helpful to, bring them in. We're going to, we're going to partake, partake in this. So we were being reasonably helpful. And I said, oh, okay. And we felt comfortable enough to sit back in the back and let, you know, all of those who needed to feel some manner of control and power in that moment, have their moment inside. And that's an example of me 
doing a self-check with gentleness, with compassion, and with curiosity. I don't even come to myself accusing. I'm just curious because I used to. Why are you doing that again? And my parts are like, first of all, <laughs> that's not what's happening. And I'm like, oh, so I don't have to come in and dictate. I get to just come in and be curious together. And I love, I love, love, love that you that you've brought this in. Mm, so so juicy. You know, I I, re- I feel ready now to answer your other question. Do you want to hear? Yes. Um, how I know that someone might be ready to do a reckoning of their past is honestly because something's not working now. I don't find it's fruitful to encourage people to go on this journey when it's all working great. So honestly, it's when you come up against something and you're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Right? Either you act it out or you're overreact. You know you're reacting too big or too little. You're either underreacting or overreacting. I mean, to me, that's a sign it's historical, right? So there's some reaction that isn't based in the here and now, and then it keeps happening. And so whether they're coming to my office as a therapy client or they're, you know, looking at taking a class or, you know, my mind immediately goes to also I help I co-facilitate these free classes, helping people um, reckon with our long past, at least here in America, looking at um, racism and that we offer these practice groups to help people set up their own process for looking at what's my relationship to race, racism, racialized trauma. And again, what makes someone ready to do that is some sort of reckoning where they're like, what is happening? I know here in Minneapolis, there was quite a large reckoning a couple years ago, right? With the murder of George Floyd. Um, but my reckoning um, on, that, that lane, on that lens was almost six years ago now, six years ago, um, I'm going to digress for one second. My partner and I used to run a feminist consciousness raising group, like we were in the 70s or something. You know, we we were, but we did. And we gathered all these folks, uh, women, trans folks, and we would meet and talk about, you know, feminist issues and right. And I'm embarrassed to say that looking back, this was in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, so a while ago. And we would meet every Thursday, talk about these issues. Um, I don't think we had one topic ever being the topic of racism, not once. It was a mostly white group, not all, but mostly white group. And we did not look at race at all. It was like this invisible. I think we were in that whole, I don't see race. I don't, again, this not reckoning with the past, but six years ago, um, was it, it was national news, right? Um, the murder of Philando Castile. Was that national? It was. Okay. I didn't know because here in Minnesota. So that happened here. And unfortunately, we all saw the, the video of the aftermath of that. And I turned to my spouse and I said, we need to restart our group, but we need to have only one topic. And that's us looking at racism and obviously our internalized white supremacy because why didn't we realize this wasn't a big enough issue to reckon with until now? So it's like, right right in that moment, we had the problem. We were like, here we are, we see this footage is so clearly wrong. And whatever I was, I'm, I'm gonna say dissociated from, 
you know, as a white bodied person, whatever I was dissociated from, like, I didn't think it was an issue. Just like I didn't think being anyone's everyone's therapist was an issue. Right. I also didn't think, oh, well, if I don't ha harbor active hate, then this isn't my problem. Mm -hmm. Then racism isn't my problem. Right. And so something had to go wrong. And what wrong what went wrong is it was in my face. Wait a minute. You're not actually doing anything about this, Terry. You are not part of the solution. And so it was like uh, a chink in my own armor. I was I had like see something started not working. Right. I was like, oh, wait, this is a problem. So then we started the group, um, but all we talk about is racism, white supremacy. We meet every week and somewhere in there we realize we could teach other people how to do this. Like people, it, we can't just be us meeting like other people. So then we started offering these free classes and it's like we don't advertise them. In this, I don't go around telling people they should do it because it's not going to do them any good if they don't think this is a problem. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, so, it makes a lot of sense. So I, I know I just said a whole bunch there, but what, what I'm putting together is I want people to reckon with their past, their family of origin past, our historical past, our racialized past, all of it. I want people to reckon with it, but I have moved out of the grandiosity of thinking that I can kickstart that process for them. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that so much as you so much, you know, and what you just said, but of this last part, what's sticking out to me mostly is so yeah, I, I was like getting ready to say that. And then I had to like backtrack, right. I've started, um, a coaching program as a participant. Um, it's amazing. I have said, I don't know what I'm going to be like at the end of this journey, but I know I will be transformed. Um, and one component that is liberatory coaching. And one of the components that we've been looking at recently is, uh, a linear worldview and a relational worldview and, and how it exists on a spectrum and how on one hand, I, I live, breathe and eat capitalism because I swim in these waters. And then on the other hand, I'm aware of my genuine desire to be more relational, have relational economics and all of those different things. And so when I was doing my, or as I've been in my work as an entrepreneur, which I never wanted to be, but here I am, um, <laughs> there is like some embedded conflict, right? And as I was trying to work through some of that conflict, I realized that I was working through that conflict with people who had a linear worldview. And I will be told things as an entrepreneur, like, or ask questions like, what's your value proposition? And how do you differ from the competition? And it just never felt right to me. I'm like, I'm a healer. There is no competition. I don't understand, right? And there, there would be um, attempts to advise me on how to increase my business. And I'm like, but no, and, and I, as, as you were talking about that, it just kind of came back to me. I've, I've been able to express my resistance towards that idea, but it wasn't until you just said what you said that I realized I have not once gone to somebody and said, can I train you or can I be your therapist or no, because I realized that what the work that I do, I need you to be ready for the work and where some of my biggest, biggest frustrations have been across any of my work is when someone has come in because someone made them or because they 
kind of were doing a box checking activity and they, they weren't invested in doing the work for themselves and for the work's sake. And that's where the frustration is. But those who come because something isn't working are the ones who are saying, I want to figure, and, and something isn't working. And maybe they articulate something's not working. And I want to fix it. But what they really mean is something is not working. And I want to figure out why I'm not a good fit for those who say something's not working, fix it. Yes. I I'm, I, because I don't fix. And, and while I think that's been consistent, I am more now aware than ever. I'm not a fixer. I am not Olivia Pope. That's a scandal reference. It was oh. a shame. She's the <laughs> like, <fixer>. gotcha. <laughs> she like you. You need something fixed. You call her and her crew, and they fix it. I rewatched the series up until a certain point, and there was like this simultaneous conflictual. She is a badass. Like the way she does it, and like repulsion. Oh, I don't like the person she is. Like it, it, oh, right. <laughs> um, which to me just says good writing, good writing, good acting, but. I realized I'm not a fixer. I don't want to be a fixer. And I am now actually transitioning some clients because I literally am like opposite of fix. And they're like, but I want to be fixed. And I'm able to say, and we can still have so much love and admiration and um, appreciation for each other and note that I'm not the fit anymore. So thank you for just kind of crystallizing that for me so you've talked to you you've begun to touch on these things but a lot in a historical kind of sense so bringing to present your passion your labors of love how do they show up in practical ways today like I said you've started to talk about it a little bit but in the world of Terry Delaney mm-hmm. how how is that playing out in a practical sense it means that my, I'm, well, I should say a lot of my journey has shifted in the last, I'd say five years when I discovered I had a body. <laughs> I did not know I had a body. And even when we started that group, I did not know I had a body. So it was a bunch of heady sort of just, you know, I, I, there's, is there swearing on this podcast? <laughs> yep. We got a button we can click if we, <laughs> yes, there is. I, I can do the acronym. It was just a bunch of BS because it was a lot of talking and people saying what they thought. And, and so once I realized I had a body, I started doing a somatic practice. We shifted that group to more somatic work. And I've, whether they've liked it or not, I've, I've shifted my therapy practice to a somatic work where I'm, I'm looking at and noticing what, what's going on in my body and also what's going on in the collective body. So what is happening in the, not just here? What am I sensing here? What's I'm touching my chest? You know, what's happening in my core? Am I in a state of fight, flight, or freeze, or appease? Or am I experiencing relative calm because I'm noticing the relative safety? You know, not there's no perfect safety, right? But am I operating from a place of emergency? Or am I operating from kind of the here and now? And so in a very practical sense, it's that broader monitoring of how am I doing? How are you doing? How are we doing? How's the space in the room? And it's not like I'm monitoring it, excuse me, and I think I'm right. 
I'm just becoming aware of what's going on for me. Does this feel more intense than it needs to be? Or am I sort of checked out? Am I aware? So Terry, you bring up such great points right now that I realize, I don't know if this has ever been clearly defined for my listening audience. I'm going to ask you to define something and then let's talk a little bit more about it, which is somatics. It's a word that I think, I know that I use it. I think it's being used more broadly, but I don't know that many people could define it, though they might have an understanding of what people mean. So as a practitioner, how would you define somatics? You know, it's funny listening to that Dan Siegel tape. Apparently the word somatics actually refers from its root, refers to just our muscles. I did not know that. Did you know that? I did not. But the mainstream use of the word is more just recognizing there is a whole lot going on in our bodies and in our nervous system beyond um, the heart beating or the um, or just what we're thinking and feeling in our brain. But actually our nervous system and that brain that is can, goes through our entire body. And so it turns out that when we become when we make ourselves aware of the tightness in our chest or that I'm shifting in my seat or that my palms are sweating, getting an awareness of that is actually how we talk to our nervous system. And so, and not being aware of it um, allows the nervous system to keep doing the old pattern as if whatever got kicked up is real. So when I talk about somatic practice, I really mean in the like most base sense, becoming aware that we have a body that's just as intelligent as the thing above our neck, that our gut brain, our nervous system, that all of that is rife with information. And at least here, you know, in Minnesota, in the United States, we tend to discard a lot of that. We don't even attune to that or notice that, right? And so when I say somatics, I'm really referring to any of anything that makes a connection with the mind and then body and recognizing that we are whole. Like, does that make sense? And being where up until this point, my therapy was just talk, talk, talk. And what do you think? And maybe some emotions and maybe they live in the body, but that's, you know, that's fine. Let's figure out what we think about it. It's shifting into more, oh my gosh, I am whole. Just like there's this whole body in if when I tune into it that's the conversation so when I'm talking so I'm sure there's a better definition I don't know what it is it makes me curious now but I was stunned to hear Dan Siegel say that somatic the word soma is about the muscles and I was like man I'm talking about the nervous system I'm talking about (laughs) I'm talking about more than that so it is it's a word that gets thrown around a lot but for me it's really just this reckoning oh there's way more wisdom than just what's between my ears. And um, thank you for that, for that definition and for that conceptualizing that. And it's so true. Like I tried to think, when did I get introduced to my body? There was a moment in time where during potty training, there was an introduction to my body. And then after potty training, no, no, there, there's, there's no other point that I can recall growing up or even in adult, early adulthood, where anyone encouraged, taught, suggested, or nurtured me to become, to come in loving reciprocal relationship with my body. And the fact that it held wisdom 
no yeah opposite so like it reminds me of a show it's called what do, what do we watch um bones just it's a show that used to come on it's like a anthropologist super smart heady and a, a detective and he always says i follow my gut and her disdain for social sciences and gut you know everything if you can't prove it this intellectual thing and while it makes for good tv and almost satire it's so true that so many of us um, have been conditioned to only trust the intellect between our ears and there is a part of me that recognizes our conditioning in it but I go back and think about truly what feels like a sinister um, imparting of that because in order to be able to disconnect from literally the body that is with you all the time that takes a concerted effort in teaching but it was only through doing that that we could disconnect from things like earth and water animals and plants right so this sinister for me beginning of dissociation from life all life and the wisdom and the the contributions that all life bring to this ecosystem we have but for man to feel so superior in order to feel superior over plant relatives and animal relatives and mother earth herself first we have to help people feel superior and disconnect from the very bodies that they walk around in every single day think about that that is deep and it just it feels I'm I that's that's a past that I'm reckoning with um, I want to say that, um, that's how we met. So in the beginning of, uh, around the beginning of COVID, um, everything was going remote, which I, it, let's, I want to be clear, like virtual therapy existed before COVID, uh, just not nearly to the degree that it does now. And there were a few things and I was toying with it thinking about it, but then we were kind of forced into it. And, um, a friend of mine was saying, Hey, um, Terry Delaney does these, um, these zooms to help people learn about like their nervous system and somatics. And I don't remember if she said it was for therapists, but her and I are both therapists. And, you know, if, if you're interested, you should come. And I'm like, sure. So she gives me the, the zoom link and I pop on and there's Terry just, and, and let me tell you what Terry did. She just slowed things down. And that, that was, that was kind of my conscious introduction into somatic work. What I realize is somatics live in me. I, I have an intuitive understanding of somatics, but I've never, I'm not, I'm not a somatic practitioner in the sense that I, you know, have whatever y'all certificate or certification, but I came on and she just slowed things down and she made it okay to look away from your screen. She made it okay to close your eyes and sit back. And so she's just going through this exercise of, and I think it was for therapists because it was, here it is. Now here's what you can do with your clients, you know, while they were on Zoom. And I just remember being like, this is so awesome, right? It almost felt like things just slowed down. Um, 
but what I honestly don't remember is how I went from attending that free class of yours to us meeting almost monthly to check in with each other and being dear friends. Do you remember what the transition was? Oh, I do. Okay. Tell me. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I, that was, you were at the first class I ever did. Cause I offered it to therapists and I'm like, who is this person? I have to know her. And so I pursued you. That's how that, you don't know because it was arranged by me. And I said, <laughs> I, there, I just feel connected. And I just, let's, can we just meet? And just talk about what we're both doing. And you were like, sure. And then we met and I was like, let's set up another one. And you were like, okay. <laughs> it was just that part. I was like, I remember the kid. Yeah, okay. But I was like, well, I'm missing some key transition piece of that one time. But I, I want to like, I want to bounce back here, right? We're talking labors of love. Something that I'm constantly, constantly, constantly talking about is you, you, general you, listener you, are valuable and you are worthy. And what you do in the world matters. And if Terry had not have done the thing, right? Just said, hey, I, I know this, I have this skill and I want other people to have it too. Because what I do know for sure is it didn't cost anything. No, it crazy. was just come. If she had not have offered that, I would have never probably known that, you know, she existed in this way. And it has blossomed into this very, very, very beautiful relationship. And that's the thing, like, do the thing. I, that's all I can say. And that's going to hit different people in different ways. Do the thing because it matters. And we live in a culture that would suggest that you'll know if it matters by compensation. If that were the case, I would have stopped this podcast a long time ago, <laughs> but it matters. And every time I, I, I am remotely convinced that it doesn't matter, um, someone sees me, emails me, calls, says something. And I'm like, ah, it matters. And I don't know that it matters because this is not a monetized platform, right? But it matters because I bring on amazing, amazing people like Terry Delaney, who says these things just because we're talking and somebody hears it and it shifts trajectory. Think about that it matters. So I come on and I say, what's your labor of love? And someone that I will likely never meet in life has trajectory shifting revelation, or they're seen in a way they haven't been seen before, or they hear something that they're like, oh my God, that's what I was waiting for to know that they now need to do their thing so that it matters for someone else. And Terry, I just genuinely appreciate what you put into the world. And one of the things that you've said a couple of times that I've heard that I want to put out is, and it shifts and that's okay. Do the thing, not knowing everything right now. And as you learn it, shift how you do the thing. You started with these conscious feminism groups that had nothing to do with race and disembodied from your role as a white woman in the world. And then something happened 
it wasn't working anymore. And then all of a sudden he goes, I'm still doing this thing, but I got to do this thing differently. And then you learn something else and you're like, wait, yeah, we're connected to this idea of race. And now we have bodies. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what does that mean for our bodies? Right? So this idea that you got to know it all before you do it, it's a lie. It's false. It's rooted in white supremacy and this idea of perfectionism that doesn't exist. Do the thing. It matters. Terry, is there anything we didn't get to talk about? Any question I didn't get to ask that you want to leave with the listeners today before we wrap up? Well, you just hinted at it when you mentioned perfectionism. I think it's so important to understand that 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 dissociation where we don't feel our bodies or being dissociated from the idea that we could learn without making mistakes. Like I just I would if I could do anything in this world, it'd be to help people understand one that we are all connected and two that we are imperfect. And I don't say that as a negative we are imperfect we're not meant to be perfect we're just people we're not the creator we are human beings we learn by making mistakes and so any sort of i just invite everyone to recognize that we don't have to know we don't have to know we have to be open to growing and changing and doing it better and doing different but it's really okay it is okay to see wow that wasn't working or wow i really had that wrong or go extreme. Wow, I've really caused harm. I've really caused harm. And let's just be clear, I'm going to still cause harm. I'm going to cause harm in the future. I actually, one of the mantras I have for myself is to remind myself, especially as someone who was raised in sort of a grandiose idea that I'm some helper, savior, right? This idea that I am capable of doing terrible things that I am capable of that. So I can keep my nose out of other people's business because I got enough to worry about right here. And so it's like, if we can start to make friends with and make peace with this imperfect body that's having the reactions it's having or doing the things it's doing, that for anyone listening, like, it's okay. You get to be where you are and you are enough. And if you can develop enough supports around your resources of other people that see the gifts that you are that that can get you through like because especially if they're showing you their imperfections i mean that's why i love to talk with you lashonda because we nothing about what we were doing you don't remember this but when i offered that free class to therapists which now it's available to everybody i just do it monthly it's not just for therapists anymore um but that was my first one and i'm sure i said it And I'm sure I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but people, we're about to be online and it's going to help us if we notice our bodies. So I went and did this training. I think you should have it. So I'm going to imperfectly offer it to you, right? That, 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 that you liked that, right? That you liked that I was saying, I don't know what I'm doing, but hey, let's just slow things down. And like that you talk openly about your struggles. Like to me, that, that's, that's the basis for a relationship I want right? Someone who's like, yeah, I'm totally flawed. Here it is. Not that polished stuff. And I'm like, you're totally flawed. Me too. <laughs> Let's be flawed together. Right? To me, that's, I don't know. I don't, I have no idea how it all ties together, but that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling this LaShonda. And I just feel grateful that you offer these and you bring your whole self 
and you be real and what you're inviting is for other people to do that too yeah such a gift thank you thank you terry i genuinely appreciate your time and just sharing yourself with my listeners that they get a gift of you uh through this platform just it it warms me and gives me tingles terry if someone heard something you said and they are intrigued they want to get in touch with you or they they want to know about this monthly free class that they can come to and slow things down and get in their bodies how might they find you yeah so the website is relationalskillbuilding.com so relational should i spell it you no it. we'll have it we'll have it in the show notes um and you'll be able to go to her website and get her from there thank you terry Thank you so much, LaShonda. It was great being with you. You too. I want to give a special shout out. Okay, stop. See, here's the thing. I do my ending so similarly and so well, I've been told that I think y'all stop listening. Like that's probably the end of the podcast for most people when I start that spill. So let me say something I was going to say in the middle before I go into that spill, which is my t-shirts are back (laughs) y'all. So um, some might not even know I had t-shirts before, but my t-shirts are back. And um, that's another example of like me being like, I mean, I don't, it's a third party supplier. I kind of knew like, it's not like I was selling hundreds and hundreds. They were just shirts that I was wearing for messages. And people were like, oh, I would buy that. And then the third-party supplier, that thing went away. And then people started saying, hey, I want to order more shirts. Hey, where can I get your shirt? And that's when it made me remember or realize it matters, right? So if you want to have cool messages as well as support labors of love in doing it, know that all the money that I make from these t-shirts go right back into me being able to pay people who design them and keep the podcast going and, and things like that. So it is it is for me to create content and continue to give back. Um, we will also put a link in the show notes for the t-shirts. So the ones that I had before, Hope Dealer, the cope with the strike through and then heal. We've been coping. Done. Now let's heal. That one's there. Generational trauma stops here is there. Um, my new t-shirt, which I'm really excited about being human with other humans is my new one. And, um, we're in the final stages of, uh, developing the what's your labor of love t-shirt for the podcast. So if you want to support, um, support the work that I do as well as wear some cool messaging around uh click the the link in the bio where you can go purchase your t-shirts but I do want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast to my producer Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media and of course to you my listeners I love y'all so much if you have suggestions for content or guests head over to my website www.thelaborsoflove.com go down on the wall welcome page and you'll see the podcast and you can put your suggestions there don't forget our youtube channel where all of our therapy thursday videos are housed as well as some other videos and if you have not already what are you waiting for give us that five star rating go ahead and write a review where you can and share the podcast with your neighbors friends and loved ones until we connect again you all be well